Hi, and welcome back to Mingus on Tech. I'm Ken Mingus, Executive Editor at Computer World. I'm here with Preston Grala, our Windows expert. We're going to be talking about the Windows 10 Spring Update with an update. Stick around. Okay, so Preston, thanks for being here. Thanks Appreciate for having it. me. I know that uh, the next version of Windows 10 is supposed to roll out sometime in the next few weeks. I know it's generally thought of as the March-April time frame. Sounds like it's going to be April this year. Looks that way. Same yeah. as last year, right? Didn't it come out in April I last year? I think so. You know, it's every six months, so you know, if they could keep track of time, it should be in April. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I wanted to find out, you know, since this will be arriving on a lot of computers soon, if there are maybe three or four things we could talk about in terms of what's going to be new in the it's the spring update is that uh, it's yes. not spring creators update it's just spring update right i've heard both things i've actually heard more often spring creators update for no reason because there's no creation stuff in it well uh, and, and interestingly enough there seems to be no creativity at microsoft <laughs> when it comes to naming these things but right. as we know you know windows 10 has now been out uh, almost three years and this is basically microsoft's decision to turn it as we, we talked earlier into windows as a service so every six months you get a, a major update or upgrade with a few new features and more security built in i presume um so with that in mind you've had your hands on this thing for a while what kinds of are there like three or four things that people should be looking for uh when this when this arrives yeah the big one the really good one is called timeline okay and it does what the name implies it lets you see everything you've done in the last 30 days the websites you've gone to, the files you've opened, the applications you've used, and you can scroll through it, and then you see something, and then click, and you're back there. So you open the file that you were working on back then, you go to the website. I find it incredibly useful. First of all, you know, you often work on seven projects at the same time, mm -hmm. three or four computers. It keeps track of this across all your computers, so you can see everything you've been doing, and then just go back and do that thing. And it's not only good for individual files, but I find that as I use it, I recall entire projects. So even though it, it even puts me back in that frame of mind, it's really one of the nicer features I've seen in quite a while on Windows. Now, I don't know. I've still been testing it and still not final yet. So what mm -hmm. I'm not clear about is whether it tracks all apps or just Microsoft apps, okay. whether you have to program to make sure it tracks you. Okay, so it's almost like it sounds like it's like having the uh, the history version when you're in a browser, and you can go to your history and you can scroll back and go to the different sites that you've been on. But it's it's across at least Windows apps that you're aware of. Have have you found any where you went back and you were looking for something and it wasn't there? No, so okay. far it's um it's done a really good job of tracking everything. Now, so far I've only tested it with Office files and browsers. Mm -hmm. So again, if there's some third-party application, if there's some desktop application rather than a Windows app, it's hard to know how that's all going to play out. My guess is it's going to be a mixed bag. Yeah. Are there any concerns that, uh, you know, the ability to go back, that it, is it building up any kind of files on your, on your hard drive that's going to take up room, or is it making like these sort of like snapshots in time, you know, continuously, and it's just a little snapshot that, that says what you were doing? I believe it's a snapshot. I don't think it's, it's um, storing every file multiple times that right. way. 
So, okay, it's just pointing to the, whatever the file was right. based on the time you were using it. Right, exactly. 30 days. Can you adjust that? Can you make it more than 30 days or less than 30 days? Not more, but less. And by default, I think it's seven. You have to go into the settings and say, give me more days. Mm -hmm. Okay, so timeline. So feature number one for Windows 10 to look for is timeline, which will allow you to go back in time, basically, for up to 30 days and uh, find files, apps, things that you were doing at that point. Right. Good. All right, number one. Number two, what uh, What else? Number two is a little bit of a bait and switch by Microsoft. <laughs> I'm shocked, okay. <laughs> and it has to do with privacy. Everybody's, for good reasons, very concerned about their privacy. What Microsoft does is as you use Windows, yep. it's gathering diagnostic data of right. various There's kinds. There's been some controversy about how right. much it's gathering and what it's doing with it. That's exactly right. Microsoft recognizes the controversy, so it created a tool it calls the Windows Diagnostic Data Viewer. Okay. And what this tool is supposed to do is let you see all the diagnostic data that it's gathering about you. You can take a look and say, oh, I didn't realize it was taking this, it was taking this, it's not taking that. So I'll be able to now tell Microsoft what to gather about me and what not. It doesn't do that. Okay. Uh, first of all, it's impossible to use. Even if you're a program, it's almost impossible to use. Instead of showing you things like what actually happened, what did it gather yesterday, it has these long, incomprehensible titles okay. that you can't know what they mean. And then you go to that, you click it, and you look at it, and it's a bunch of incomprehensible code. Maybe they're trying to tell people that all we're doing is gathering a bunch of incomprehensible stuff, and we're going to give you the idea that you can look and see what this is, but it's not going to mean anything to you. I, well, they succeeded. <laughs> it's the best. They did a switch. great job. Now, that's just one problem with it. The second problem is, let's say they even built a tool that would let you see all that stuff. Yeah. They didn't change what you can block and what you can't. So you can't do so this you have in a no, granular you have way. No, I was just going to say that I would assume that the whole point was to give you some granular control over what they were no. grabbing. It, before this okay. update, you have two choices, basic on or, or more than basic. Yeah, okay. So you can't turn it all off. Okay. You can have it just basic stuff like what's your device and then more advanced things like what, you know, what websites you're visiting. Yeah. After the update... That's all you can change. That's all you can do. There's nothing added to it. Now, there's one minor fill-up to that, one caveat, which is that if you have the Enterprise Edition, you can, in fact, turn it off completely. Okay. But you still don't get granular control. I don't really understand why Microsoft did this other than PR reasons. They announced it during World Privacy Day okay. about a month or so ago. They got a lot of good publicity, and I wasn't able to figure out, did people just not even bother to look at this tool? They must not have if they think that this is going to be something that's going to help them uh, understand yeah. the telem it's telemetry, basically. Basically, it's telemetry. That's exactly right. You know, now this data, there's good reason for Microsoft to gather it. I'm sure. not, you know, they want to make Windows better and I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. The point really for me is that it's my data right. and I should have control over it and I don't. And even more annoying is that this tool which promises to do things which simply doesn't do. Okay. So bait and switch number two. What's, right. what, what's that feature called again? This is Diagnostic Data Viewer. Okay. And so you can look at it, but you won't understand what it is you're seeing. That's right. right. Okay. And then can't do anything and about you, it. And you can't do anything about it anyway. <laughs> well, maybe it's a start. Maybe it's, a, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do glass half full and assume that maybe right. they're going to build on this and, you know, give you some sort of magic key, which will allow you to understand what the, <laughs> the data viewer is showing you. Right. Okay. Data viewer. Uh, number three. Edge is always there. Microsoft is always trying to improve it. It's trying to figure out a way to Desperately catch at this point, probably. Very desperately. Yeah. And they didn't do a very good job. For some reason, they keep lavishing love on the e-reader built into Edge. Yeah. So you can read books. 
and PDFs. I don't know why, but they keep doing it. So they added a couple of tweaky kind of features to that, which are okay. They tweak the entire interface of Edge a little bit. Um, you know, they added things here. You can now um, fill in forms on the web, which you couldn't do before, although you can't do it as well as you can in Chrome. Okay. And that's it. And what they didn't do, of course, is which we've talked about many, many times, which is there are still not very many add-ins and extensions. Right. I went yesterday and counted them. It was 146. After all this time, that's all? Yeah. And compared to how many thousands for Chrome and Firefox. Right. And six months ago, I look back at six months ago of my review of that update, there were 70 at this point. So in the last six months, they've added 60, 76. 76, okay. It's interesting because, you know, in, in terms of Edge, you know, for those who may not be familiar, um, the, the number of people using Edge on Windows 10 continues to decline. Chrome is very clearly the lead browser right. now for Windows 10. And uh, actually, Greg Kaiser at, at Computer World had a story yesterday talking about one of the things that Microsoft is envisioning for the fall update is a way to sort of force people to use Edge by requiring links that you open up in like mail, e email attachments, would be required to open up in Edge, even if you've designated another browser as your default uh -huh. browser. I can't imagine that's going to go over really well for people who thought Edge was in the rearview mirror, you know? Oh, I know. And especially because it's so much worse than Chrome. And now that's interesting in mail. This is a really weird thing then because one problem with Edge is if you use Gmail, if you use the newest inbox feature, which I mean, it's not so new anymore, but yeah. it's basically the, the uh, interface, mm -hmm. which is really nice and really good, Edge doesn't work with inbox. Okay. So let's see. So now you're in Inbox in Chrome, and then you click a link, and then you go out to Edge, but Edge doesn't work with Inbox. And, uh, yeah, I can't I'll be figure curious. out what's going on. It's interesting because, uh, you know, when uh, Greg had spied this, and I, I guess it was a blog post from Microsoft saying, well, we're rolling this out. We're going to try this. We'll we'll look for, uh, you know, feedback. I have a feeling they're going to get some feedback <laughs> on this requirement that uh, is, you know, that, that people be forced to use Edge. I, you know, I'm, it is surprising that Microsoft who basically killed Netscape with the arrival right. of Internet Explorer, um, just seems to have lost interest in kind of keeping keeping up with Chrome and, and I guess maybe to a lesser extent Firefox. You know, from the very beginning, I mean, the way they killed Netscape was not, I mean, they were killing a lot of competitors in those days and, and not always nice ways. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, there was a lot of, I mean, there was the whole antitrust suit against them. Right. That was the core of the antitrust suit. And when they became dominant with Internet Explorer, they just never really developed it. Right. It was really a it's bad like they browser. won the one they won the war and then just walked away from the mountain and yeah. let other other companies, including Chrome and Firefox and, and some other browsers, just start eating their lunch. I guess they figured, well, it's the default browser. We'll make it the default browser, and 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 that was one of the issues, in fact, in the antitrust suit, mm -hmm. how difficult it was to change to another browser. Once the law came down and said it needed to be easier to change to another browser. That's when they all started taking off, once there was right. starting to be some true competition. Right. I, I don't know. I don't understand why they can't develop a good browser. It's really odd. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the, the analog on the, the Mac side would be Safari. I mean, and clearly there's competition on the Mac side, too. Um, I, I sort of bounce back and forth between Safari and Chrome. Uh, so you can see that Chrome has a real presence right. on the Apple side. But it, it does seem like Apple still is developing Safari, building in features. Um, there are a fair number of extensions that allow you to do more. Uh, you know, Again, I don't want to get onto the Apple stuff, but it's, I'm just surprised that, that Microsoft um, hasn't taken more of, a, of an edge <laughs> in, uh, in, in pushing its browser forward. Okay, so tweaks to Edge, but nothing to write home about and 
perhaps even requirements that you use it for mail coming up this fall. We'll see. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask about, I noticed, is that uh, I guess there's a new feature that allows you to sort of share files. I'm not sure if it's Bluetooth or Wi-Fi between devices. It's, it sounds sort of like the AirDrop feature on the, right. the Mac side. What is that? That's built into the, the new yeah version. wireless file sharing. Nice, easy, simple. I've tested it out. I mean, it's you know one of the few things you could say about Windows, at least for me anyway. It just works. It's mm -hmm. really a nice, simple feature. Um, they also, they've done some other Bluetooth things. There's also an easier way now to connect Windows to Bluetooth devices, which sometimes is problematic and confusing. They've made that easier too. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of other tweaks. Cortana, they've tweaked that a little bit. And actually there's another instance where I'm surprised they haven't been doing serious stuff with Cortana because the future clearly is Alexa, you know, all the assistants that are going to live around you, not yep. just in your computer, but in, in your phone, but also in your speakers and your television and everywhere else. And they have not done dramatic things with Cortana. A big problem with Cortana still is there's something in, in all these systems called skills in the speakers. And mm -hmm. what these skills are is they are ways in which you can do things with right. this speaker. Sort of like IFTTT almost. It allows you to extend what, yes. the, what it does. That's exactly right. And Cortana is way behind Alexa. Way, way. I mean, Alexa has thousands and thousands. Cortana has hands full, and this sounds a little bit like Edge, doesn't it, to Chrome? Yeah. And that's already happened. As a matter of fact, even for business purposes, Microsoft should own that with Cortana. For business purposes, Alexa is way, way, way ahead of Cortana. You can do amazing things with Alexa, but you can't do it with Cortana. Yeah, it's interesting because when you think about the, you know, the lead that Microsoft has with the whole office suite in the workplace, building in Cortana and voice-activated features and functions just seems like a no-brainer. Now, you know, and I say that the same problem is happening on the Mac side with Siri, because you know, Apple pushed ahead with Siri in 2010, 2011, I guess, and it just never really took off. I mean, they had this really Really amazing technology. And now Alexa, Alexa for business, Alexa at home, it just, you know, Alexa in your car. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you wonder, you know, again, if there's a, a real opportunity here that, that both Microsoft and Apple are missing out on. And certainly with the way voice activated digital assistants are sort of showing up in the workplace now, everybody's sort of moving beyond, you know, hey, Alexa, play something for me at home. And now it's more like, can you schedule a meeting? Let's get a, you know, schedule a meeting room, call so and so grab this email, you know, you do sense that there's going to be a lot more voice activated features and functions that that operating systems are going to need uh, in the workplace and at home and nothing or very little. Uh, I agree. And it's really interesting because that Apple lost out in it and that that Amazon is an elite. The way I look at it is these voice activated assistants that will be everywhere have the potential to do to mobile what mobile did to desktop PCs. Mm -hmm. I think they are really the next big thing, much more than just in a home, as you said. And it's really surprising that Apple, who was there first, lost out. I think if Steve Jobs had still been alive, that wouldn't have happened. I right. think that he really was visionary enough to see this stuff. And I'm not sure at Apple that they have the people or the vision yet to see ahead rather than on what they have. Right, exactly. And, you know, so it, it, it's not just Microsoft. It is, you know, working on these operating systems and rolling out these updates. You see these areas that you would think these these developers would be pushing forward in, and they're just kind of letting them. They're waiting for other competition to come in and eat their lunch. And it's scary. It has to be scary for everybody except Amazon, because like <laughs> Amazon was e-commerce, and they're owning that. 
Yeah. Now what are they going to own? Are they going to start to own operating systems? Or do you even care anymore about your operating system if you have Alexa? Yeah. Is there going to be an Alexa operating system for devices? I mean, I don't know, but I'm just saying it has to be scary for Microsoft and Apple, and they better do something. Right. Okay. Um, back to Windows 10 real quick. Any other, you know, one of the things I did see, uh, and I just wanted to ask you about, in terms of the, literally just the installation process, that um, with this version of Windows 10, installing it or, or doing the upgrade is faster than it has been in the past. Did you see something like that or when you yeah, you tested it? I tested. The problem is when I'm testing it, I'm as a Windows Insider and it's not the same way. Okay. You know what I mean? So it's hard to know. And, and it's been odd with Insider. Sometimes they take a real long time. Sometimes they're faster. So okay. I'm not sure about when the final one rolls out, how it'll be. What's going to happen again, one thing about the installation is you're going to be able to see your privacy settings more easily and walk through them more easily during the setup process. Okay. So that'll be a good thing, when it, at least so Microsoft says. I yep. haven't seen it yet. Yep, okay. Great. Uh, any other thoughts before I let you go on Windows 10? Anything anybody else needs to be aware of? No, just that this is basically Windows now and forever. It's going to be always six-month upgrades, and they're never going to be big, gigantic, major things, small to medium-sized features rolled out each time. Okay. So there you have it. Uh, sometime in the next few weeks, Windows 10 Spring Update, Creators Update, Update, whatever, will be here. And then, of course, the next version will rollout in the fall. Uh, Preston, thanks for stopping by and, and catching me up on this. Uh, I'll be looking forward to finding out how it works. Me too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thanks a lot. And uh, for now, that's a wrap. Cool.